We are in Matthew chapter 5. We've been talking about the Beatitudes and spending some time talking about the Sermon on the Mount. And in all honesty, we really have not gotten into the, the full Sermon on the Mount because we've been just kind of hanging out and camping in these first few statements that Jesus makes, these statements of the Beatitudes. And, uh, you know, he's made statements like, blessed are the poor in spirit, which meant that blessed are those who actually recognize that they're sinners, recognizing that they're in need of a Savior. You know, blessed are those who are merciful, for they'll receive mercy. Uh, blessed are those who are meek. So we, we keep getting all these blessed statements. And what Jesus is doing in these first few verses here is he's really walking us through what the gospel is. Is he's, he's helping us to understand in, in a very, you ever had those people that they correct you in a very soft tone and they get them talking and you go, I think they just corrected me. You know what I'm talking about? Your grandma did, did that to you. My grandma had a way of, of correcting me and she would walk away and I'm thinking, I think she just scolded me in a very gracious, loving, merciful way. Anybody, anybody else have that? Okay, you're not as blessed as I was, I guess. Um, so Jesus is kind of giving them that, that conversation in a very loving, gracious way of saying, hey, you can't do this by yourself. Like, you can try. You've already tried. And the reason that you're in the mess that you're in is because you're trying to do this without a Savior. You're trying to be the Savior, and you can't be because you're sinful, and you have not realized that you're poor in spirit. You, you haven't realized that you're in need of, of a Savior to come and save you, to redeem you, to cleanse you. You haven't realized this yet. And so Jesus is basically walking them through these statements and giving them this gospel declaration of if you want to be a follower and if you want to live a blessed life. And you remember we said in the very beginning, blessed didn't mean about the resources. Blessing in the Greek means of, like you are happy because of what God has done. And if we stop right there and say, well, it's not about material, it's not about resources, the fact that God is who he is and his presence is with me is good enough. Would you agree with me that if God gave you nothing else and it all ended today, all the blessings that he has given you, wouldn't you say that he's been good? Like, that's, that's all we need to know, right? He has been good even if we don't get anything else. So Jesus here is, is taking him in one more statement this morning. And, and he hits him here, and he says, blessed, blessed are the pure in heart. Okay, there's two key words in there, and that, that's pure and is heart. Okay, so he says, blessed are those who, who are pure in heart. And, and listen to this next verse. Blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they will, what's the promise here? They're going to see God. You're gonna, you want to see Jesus? Then you will be pure in heart. That, that's how you will see Jesus. And, and we, he's talking about this heart. The heart is such a, a, a beautiful imagery of the scriptures. You think about just the heart buried within the cavity of our human chest. This muscle, it's about the size of a fist, is it, charged by these little tiny electrical impulses approximately every eight-tenths of a second your heart beats. It's about 100,000 times a day pumping some 1,800 gallons of blood through your body. Think about that. Have you stopped to think about that this morning when you woke up? I went, that was not on my mind when I woke up this morning. I, was, I wonder how many times my heart will beat today. But, but the, the heart is the life center 
of the body. You, you think about in the medical world, when, when there's a heart issue, all the other little issues in the body that begin to, to take place. You know, when, when the heart begins to have some, some form of sickness or, or disease, everything else, it can, it can affect your breathing, it can affect, you know, if you stop bleeding or not, when you get cut, there, there's all kinds of, of implications that happen when, when the heart begins to, to be messed up. Because the heart is the life center of the human body. Now, when we talk about the word heart in the scriptures, the heart in the Bible is referring to the inner person. It's talking about who we are on the inside. In the, the heart is the seat of our emotions, it's our thoughts, it's our attitudes, it's our will. And in Proverbs, we're told, like, as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. It's, it's our inner self. Jesus asked a group of scribes one day, he says, why are you thinking evil in your hearts? And, and so when he's, he's using this conversation of the heart, he, he is telling us that it is the inner piece of who we are. It's, it's the seat of our emotions and everything else. It's, it's where everything comes from. We would say it this way, that the heart is the control center for everything else right? But when we say things and we spew things out of our mouths, the Bible would say that that is not just out of our mouth. It would say that those things come from our hearts. So the heart is who we are. The heart is who we are. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus repeatedly tells the crowd that the inside priority takes place over the outside. And he's going to come at these Pharisees who are so particular on making sure, as religious leaders, that the outside was going to be good. But they were so damaged and dirty and broken on the inside. See, because the thing is, when God's looking down at us, he's not looking at, oh, look, they've got it all together. He's not looking at the outside. What he's looking at is what's going on on the inside. Because the outside, I can look at people and say, oh, you look good. You look, you look really healthy. But how would I know if they had a pacemaker or not? You got a great heart rate. You got great eyesight. Well, how do I know if you got contacts or not? Now, wouldn't you say that what happens on the inside is important? Because haven't you seen, especially over these last couple of months, it seems like there have been these athletes who have been in the best of shape that we would just love to be able to have the stamina and, and the looks of, of some of these athletes, and they just drop dead. Everything on the outside looks good, but there was something deeper going on on the inside. And so what Jesus is saying is that the heart is, is comprised of, of these emotions and these intentions and these attitudes and this will. You cannot miss how all these things are interconnected. And, and what he's going, going for here is he's saying that you, you cannot be poor in spirit. You can't mourn over your sins. You can't be meek. You can't have a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. You can't be merciful. You can't be a peacemaker. You can't be prepared to stand for persecution when it comes without having a pure heart. Because when, when it all comes down to the tensions, our reactions to things will come from our hearts. It'll come from our heart. Because again, that is the seat of and the control center of everything. So this is one of the most central and crucial principles of the Christian life. This is why the Bible tells us to protect your heart. Watch what comes into your heart, because whatever comes in will come out, right? And so he, he says, 
Blessed are the pure, is the first word that he gives us here. It brings out this idea of a cleansing. Something that may be pure because it's never been contaminated or because all the impurities have been removed from it. You think about a cup. You take a cup that's in the sink. Now that cup can be washed and it can be made clean and it can be made pure, correct? So I can take a dirty cup and I can put it in the sink and I can do all that I need to do with it and that cup is now usable for the next person. You can take the same thing with gold. Gold, you dig it up, it can be rough, it can be not very good looking. But when it's refined through the fire, it takes on a, a much different look, doesn't it? Now, ladies, if, if, you're, if your man gave you just a, a gold cluster and said, would you marry me? I mean, it's still got value, right? But does that look pretty in the box when they open it? You would much rather have that thing refined by the fire and made into a ring of gold to put on your hand. And when, when we look at, at the heart and the purity, what Jesus is saying is, listen, you've got you to be pure in heart. Unfortunately for us, our hearts have been touched and contaminated with sin. But through the blood of Jesus, it has been washed and made new. That it has been pure, it has been through the fire. And so we can approach Jesus with a pure heart. But here's the thing about the heart. If you're not careful, things creep in and get in there. And if we're not watching and paying attention, we will not be pure in heart for long. We will be contaminated in heart and how do you know when you're contaminated in heart? Start watching the things that you do and the things that you say. So the basic idea here is the object is that it is pure. Something is pure when it's not contaminated by anything else. It's, it's unadulterated. It's, it's no defilement. It's no stain. It's no defect. And when this applies to the human character, we would say that a person is pure. And here's the other word that Jesus would say is that the person is not just pure, but they're also holy. Because remember, he says, be holy as I am holy. So, so the first principle you've got to understand is the heart is who we are. Here's the second piece of that, is that the heart is crucial to Jesus. It is crucial. Because if it is the seed of everything we have, why are we not guarding that with everything that we have? Because anything that gets into that will eventually, again, come out in some way, shape, or form. So in Matthew chapter 15, we're going to see how crucial the heart is to Jesus here. There were Jews in that day, and these Jewish people were so obsessed with the laws and the rules. They, they loved rules. They wanted rules. Some of you like rules, right? I mean, rules are good, right? I mean, if we didn't have rules in, like, let's say, football, that would get really interesting really quick. Have a bunch of people knocked out on the field, okay? Rules are good. But what happens is when you start putting too many rules onto something, it dampens it, right? I don't want to play this anymore. I don't want to be a part of this anymore. There are way too many rules. But the Jewish people of Jesus' time in the first century were so obsessed with the rules that they thought life with God, this, for me to have this relationship with God, there's a ton of rules on it. And if there's a ton of rules on it, the game is I've got to make sure that I obey every single one of those rules to stay in relationship with God. Because if I don't, if I break a rule, God hates me, doesn't love me anymore. God didn't want to have anything to do with me because I'm not following all of these rules. We, we call that legalism, by the way. And so the Jewish people were thinking, we're going to add rules to this. So they went through and they counted every single rule in the law of Moses. And they came up with 613 laws, 613 rules. 
And 365 of those, they said, were negative. They were things that you do not do. And there were 248 that were positive. Those were the rules that you would do. And these were just the rules in the Bible. Okay? What they would do was they would take all these rules from the Scripture and they piled on hundreds and hundreds of other rules on top of They would have rules upon rules. They would have this rule so they didn't break that rule, but they would have to create this rule so they didn't break that rule. And then, oh, we don't want to break those two to get to the one that we can't break. So we're going to add five more over here. Does that sound complicated? Because if it does, it's because it was. And this is the way, this is not just the way that they live their life. This is the way that many Jewish people still live their life, under the rule. And they miss the relationship. Okay? For instance, the Bible talks about this subject of being clean, cleanliness. So what the Pharisees would say was, let's add, let's add all these rules about stuff like washing your hands. Okay? So they're saying, we, we got to be clean. We have to wash our hands. When you go to Israel, one of the things that you're going to get sick of seeing are wash houses. They're everywhere. Oh, we, this is a cleansing place. Oh, yeah, they'd come here and wash their hands for this, and they'd come over here and wash their hands for this, and here's another wash house, and there's another wash house, and here's a whole other wash house, and they're all over the place because this, it just shows how much the rules begin to push in and the relationship begin to pull away of saying, okay, we got to be clean, so we got to wash our hands. So they're pretty strict about it. When you wake up in the morning, you wash your hands, right? And then he says, you wash your hands before you eat, you wash your hands after you eat. You wash your hands before you worship. You wash your hands after you visit the bathroom, after you cut your hair, after you cut your nails, after you touch some part of your body that's normally not covered in the middle of a pandemic. Wash your hands. You wash your hands after you touch the inside of your nose or your ear. You wash your hands after you touch your scalp. Basically, you wash your hands if you touch anything. Now, how many of you need to go wash your hands right now? Right? Did you touch the dirty chair when you sat down? Did you rub your hair and push, ladies, you push your hair behind your ear? You got to go wash your hands. You're unclean. How can you stand before God when you touch your hair, women? You know what I mean? Guys, did you rub your beard? A, must be nice. B, go wash your hands. You're unclean. You can't be in here before a holy God and worship him if you touched your beard. That's silly, isn't it? But that's the way that we live life. That we're so concerned about the rule that God's going to come after us and punish us. So much that the Jewish people said, we're going to have all of these rules and we're going to do all of these things. And we're going to tell people, you got to wash, you got to wash, you got to wash. Not just what to wash, but how to wash and what you need to say while you wash. When you go into the Jewish bathrooms in Israel, there are prayers that they read as they wash their hands. So that they don't break the rule of being unclean when they walk into the temple to worship God. Can I just tell you the good news of Jesus? He has made us clean. We don't have to wash our hands anymore. But we do need to wash our hands. Let me backtrack that. Spiritually, he has taken care of that. He has purified us. He has cleaned us. We don't have to have rule upon rule upon rule upon rule upon rule in fear that we're going to break a rule. Because he's a loving father. And when we sin and recognize it, he doesn't say, I won't have anything else to do with you. Did you catch what he said in the first part of the Beatitude? Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. I'm proud of you for recognizing the fact that you messed up. I'm proud of you for the fact that you recognize that you need me as your Savior. It wasn't the other way around. 
See, oftentimes we view God how we view our earth, earthly fathers. If you didn't have a good relationship with your earthly father, you think that God's going to treat you that way. Can I just tell you this? Your earthly father is not the standard for what a father is. We didn't have perfect fathers growing up. And you may say you did. No, you didn't. Your dad's a sinner. I'm a sinner. I'm not a perfect dad. But what I will say is I can point you to the father who is. And, and I cannot view my earthly father and go, my father did this, so I can't. So God must be this way. No, 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 no. I see God this way. I know what the potential is that my earthly father can have. I know the potential that I can have. He, 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 God has come and said, I love you. I'm not going to put all these rules on you. I just want to have a relationship with you. He's not the one complicating the relationship. We are by putting all of our rules in place. So look what he says in Matthew chapter 15. So one day it says that some Pharisees and some teachers of the law they came from Jerusalem to Jesus. Now, they had walked a long way, okay, a few, few days. And, and if he's in northern Galilee, there's about seven days worth of walking. And they asked him, why is it that your disciples disobey the teaching? Now, let me, let me put that in better paraphrase. Why is it that your disciples are disobeying our rules that we've put in place, Jesus, that have been handed down by our ancestors? They don't wash their hands in the proper way before they... These guys are upset because they didn't wash their hands. Your disciples aren't washing their hands. It's like the, the, the school hall monitor watching after lunch, all the little kids. Did they wash their hands or not? You're supposed to be a holy man, Jesus. You ever have people play that Christian card on you? Oh, you're supposed to be a man of God. You're supposed to be a Christian. And you're going to talk to me like that? And you, you're not going to... You ever had that happen? I had somebody one time get mad because I would not help them financially, uh, because they got themselves in a really bad situation. They said, and you're supposed to be a man of God. I said, yeah, the Bible says man doesn't work, doesn't eat. So, okay. Sometimes you just got to use scripture. Um, he says this. Jesus, Jesus comes at him and says, you're supposed to be a holy man, Jesus, and your disciples are breaking the rules. The rule is what? What are they not doing? Washing their hands. But you know what the disciples are doing that the Pharisees are not? They're in the presence of the Messiah. That the Jewish people are waiting to come. The disciples are in his presence. And Jesus is not going, hey guys, whoa, 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 time out. You got to go wash your hands before you come in here. I'm going to need you to wash, okay? Jesus goes right back at him and he calls him out and he says this in verse 8. You honor me with your words, but your hearts are really far away from me. You talk a good game. You look really good on the outside. Love your outfits. I love your Pharisee robe, and I love your hat, and I love your tassels. You look great. But Jesus would go on and say, you look like a whitewashed tomb. You look really good on the outside, but when we dig that grave up, there's some junk, isn't it? He reserved his harshest words for the Pharisees. There's one point that Jesus called them sons of Satan. Let me, let me translate that for you. Your mama's the devil. That's what he said to him. You a son of the devil. He, he saved his harshest words because the Pharisees were saying this, is that we're going to look all clean on the outside. We're going to have it all put together, but they're broken. You know what that does when we act like we have it all together? And we know that inside that we're struggling, we're broken. We don't feel like we can talk to any about, anybody about it because people will judge us. And, and so I just got to stay in here. I can't let people know who's in here. Do you know what that does to you? It damages your soul. Because you feel like you can't be real. The, the church has created so many rules in such a hostile environment for people to come out and say, I am a sinner. Oh, can't have that in here. You're going to need to take that somewhere else. We don't have sinners here. And Jesus is preaching the opposite thing. 
I'm not worried about the outside. I am worried about the inside because I can look and have it all put together. Right? Think about it when people post pictures on, on social media. How many filters do we have to choose from to make that one shot, that one angle look amazing? You ever seen the pyramids in Egypt? Like the pictures of the pyramids? Go on Google Earth today. Type in the pyramids. It should take you to Egypt and not to the old hard rock in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. And I want you to zoom out and I want you to look at the bigger picture of the pyramids. Because the part you never see is the dirty city that is wrapped all the way up and around it. Because we only see a small piece. When we fake it and have it all put together here, we never get to deal with what's on the inside. Jesus wasn't worried about the inside or the outside of what they looked like. He had some dirty, rude, would cut an ear off somebody type guys in his group that were hanging out. And he, he never once told them how awful they were. He kept pushing them towards him. He kept pushing them towards everything the gospel had called them to be. Because he, the heart was crucial. Jesus knew if he had their heart, that's all he needed. Because if he could change the heart, he could change everything. And so Jesus here tells them that you, you're, being a, you're being a hypocrite. That you speak your words. Because sometimes I wonder this. And I don't know if you've ever had this moment. Maybe now you will. But you're sitting there and, you, and you're, you're looking at the words on the screen. The song's playing. You're singing it. What would happen if Jesus stopped you right in the middle of that song and said, Who are you singing to and what's it about? What if he interrupted you in the middle of your words and asked you that question? Would he, would he say, hey, listen, your words, you, you honor me with your words. But your heart and your words aren't lining up. Because you're telling me you love me here, and then we walk out, and we never talk to each other until next Sunday when they play the next karaoke song and sing again. Congratulations, you, you went and served on this trip, and you went and did these things, and you attended Bible study. But Jesus is going, you, you honor me with those things, and those things look great. But what I'm asking is, how's your heart? Like, your, your heart is not adding up with the words that are being spoken. And, and he gives them a word for that hypocrite. Remember people used to say the church is full of those? Because we all are, right? And I tell, them, I tell people all the time, because right? I, I used to get that, where people go, a church is full of hypocrites, I'm not going. Well, come on, you fit right in, the rest of us, we, we love it, we love it. So Jesus says that our unguarded words, the things that we say, they're kind of a stethoscope. They, they tell where, a, where our heart is. They tell what we, what we have shoved down. And, and he wants us to understand, especially from this conversation with the Pharisees, is we spend so much time focusing on the outside that we miss what's really true and important, and that's what's on the inside. Because here's what I believe. If the church would stop looking like the church and start acting like the church, we would change culture. We would change culture. If we would focus more on how we react to things versus how we act on things, we would change culture. Because Jesus has given us the keys. Not everybody else, not the government. He's given us the keys to usher in the kingdom of God. And all we got to do is live out the principles and the values. But it's a heart. Because blessed are the pure in heart. So, so let me answer these, these quick questions here real quick. How do we become pure in heart? 
This is really simple. You already know this answer. You don't realize that you know this, these answers, but I'm going to go ahead and give you all five answers to these real quick. You ready? Jesus has told us how to be pure in heart. Number one, he says, if you want to be pure in heart, be poor in spirit. It goes right back to what he said at the very beginning of these Beatitudes. You be poor in spirit. It's, it's as Isaiah the prophet said. Isaiah said that all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. Our righteousness, all of ours is just filthy rags. I'm not going to tell you the translation for that because it's, it's, there's kids in the room. But all righteousness is as filthy rags. We have to start being poor in spirit and we must come to God and God alone for help and for trust that he can do whatever he says he can do. So you got to be poor in spirit. You want to be pure in heart, you got to recognize your sin. you got to mourn over it. Remember? Blessed are those who mourn. Scripture tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 that godly sorrow leads to repentance without regret. And that leads to salvation. So we ask God for his forgiveness. And based on the work of Jesus, not on our work, based on the work of Jesus on the cross for dying for our sins, he forgives our sins and he comforts us by removing those sins. I love 1 John, 1 John 1, 9. It says this, that if we confess our sins, he is, you ready for this? He is faithful and just to forgive them if we confess them. Well, if I confess them, God's going to judge me and God's going to figure me out. No, no, no. If you confess your sin, he, there ain't nothing about you in that piece. You've already done your piece because it says if you, what are you supposed to do in this scenario? Confess. So that's all you need to do right there. Jesus has got the rest of it. He says, because if you do, if you confess, I will be faithful and just to forgive those things. And I will work those things out with you. So we got to be able to recognize our sins. He says, so he's going to be faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse, to purify us from all unrighteousness, from all those things that keep us from having a relationship with Jesus. Here's the third thing. You want to be pure in heart? You better yield yourself to doing God's will. That's the meekness. There's nothing more humbling than serving people. Because I think oftentimes by us serving other people reminds us that we too need to be served. That we're broken and we're in need of a savior. So pure, being pure in heart is understanding that you're poor in spirit. It's recognizing your sin. It's mourning over your sin. It's being meek. Here's the other one. That being pure in heart means to be driven by a hunger and thirst to become more like Jesus. Remember, hunger and thirst after Jesus. Hunger and thirst for the things of Jesus. Because he says that when we hunger and thirst after him, you and I are satisfied. Satisfied. That we're good. It's like being out in this 100 degree heat and those drops of rain just fall out of the sky and refresh you. You know that feeling? A couple of weeks ago, I'm cutting grass and I'm about to die. I'm pretty sure that I'm going to have to call an elder to come do my funeral. And then out of nowhere, it starts raining. And I just stand there. Because it was just like the blessings of God just falling down. Quenching, refreshing. And it gave my neighbor something to look at him going, this, what in the world is this dude doing? Here's the last thing. You want to be pure in heart, you need to extend mercy to other people. Blessed are the merciful. Well, they'll, they'll receive mercy. You reach out in graciousness to help other people and you forgive them even when they are wrong. We give out what we take in. We give out forgiveness, we take in forgiveness. That's a pure heart. That is what Jesus is so concerned with with us. 
And notice all of these things. These aren't outward appearance things. Every one of these take place on the inside. They work them way from the inside out, not from the outside in. I love what, what Paul says in, or in his letter to Titus. He says this, is that to the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their mind and their consciousness are defiled. They profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny him, being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. To those that have been purified through the blood of Jesus and are striving to live in purity of heart, all things are pure because of Jesus, that he is the ultimate purifier. If you want to live in a blessing, the blessings always come with the promise because the promise is, is, is today if we will understand this, this whole concept that we will see God. Think about that for a moment. There's going to be a day that you and I will stand before the very person that we read about. And it will far exceed standing on the seas of Galilee. Because when we stand on the shores on the other side in heaven, and we lay eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, because that's going to happen. Blessed are those that they will see God. So Father, I thank you this morning for your teaching is that we would we would really pay attention to our heart because it's not outside appearance and looks God you want us to be honest and be real and be transparent and be authentic and, and just lay it out there you're not intimidated by your sin you, you've gone to the cross and you've paid the price for that God you have cleansed us of those sins and I just pray this morning that as we, we sing and we worship you that we would observe ourselves and say, God, is my heart pure? Am I pure? Have I allowed you to cleanse that? Is there anything that's trapped that needs to be gotten rid of? Is there forgive, unforgiveness that's trapped in there? Is there some bitterness? Is there some anger? Right, I just pray whatever's right now, God, that your Holy Spirit would bring conviction and confession would happen in this place. And we pray these things in your name. Amen.